This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Payer Issues podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Jennifer Atkins, Senior Vice President of Managed Care Strategy at Advocate Aurora Health. Jennifer, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Great to be here. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about. There's always a lot happening in this space, but before we dive into my questions, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yeah, absolutely. I think if somebody would have told me, you know, long ago, first out of college, that I'd be doing the work that I'm doing today, I um, would have told you you were crazy. It's been a little bit of a circuitous route um, to get me to healthcare. I worked for a large multinational um, doing contracting support across the country and um, decided to make an entry into healthcare because it was a little easier work-life balance for my family and was privileged to join um, the Mercy Health team in Northwest Ohio. Um, And over the course of about 10 years, worked myself into a a system level managed care position, um, supporting all of um, their markets, both through fee-for-service, but also with the original advent of some of the value-based care programs. Um, As I continue to work with um, with the Mercy system, it's always felt like one of the things that was really missing for me was the payer perspective. And I had an opportunity to join um, Anthem, now Elevance, um, in the state of Wisconsin, um, working directly with the leadership team and responsible um, for network strategy for the state of Wisconsin. And that really, you know, led me to cut my teeth on what's important um, to payers. And One of the things that I always found so interesting once I joined Anthem was I could shut my eyes at any given time, um, and the conversation we were having on the payer side was really almost identical to what we were talking about on the provider side. We care about all the same things. You care about um, you know, the patient or the member, you may nomenclature may change depending on what side you're on, but you care so much about. Um, the experience that that the member or the patient has, are they able to access the care that they need at the time that they need it? And are you, you know, getting the highest quality, highest quality care um, to be able to manage total cost of care? So it was very striking um, to me to to be able to to understand, you know, truly both sides of that equation. Um, after spending some time with Anthem, I was um, really privileged to join um, the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association and work on national network strategy, um, working with all of the, the, the 34, 35 blues plans across the country, where I worked on um, centers of excellence programs nationally, um, programs like substance use, CAR-T, um, the value-based programs, and then finally um, worked with the, the, the team nationally to stand up the Blue High Performance Network, um, which was uh, the, the first new national network that, that Blue had um, in 25 years based on the value-based care principles of, of quality and total cost of care. So then that leads me, okay, now you're an advocate of Aurora Health. Um, and I'll ask the question for you, why? <laughs> and I think like many people, um, through COVID, you start to really kind of reassess. And I had promised myself that I, I needed five years um, on the payer side to really understand um, what that was all about. And just felt like a really good time to bring both sides together again. And Advocate Aurora um, uh, just posed a, a wonderful opportunity to do that. That's amazing. I think, you know, it's so smart to get the experience on the payer side of things and then jump into the health system side to really have that 
uh, global perspective on exactly how each side of the negotiation in the contracting is thinking about things. And it's great to hear, as you mentioned, you know, that both are really focused on the patient and making sure that they have access to the care they need. Um, you know, so I can imagine that gives you a little bit of a leg up when you're thinking about how what your strategy is going into some of these negotiations and really trying to figure out what you can do in order to make that goal or realize that goal and make it a reality. Absolutely. Now, when you're thinking about where you're at today and what you have ahead of you, what are some of your key focuses for the second half of 2022? You know, um, it, it's amazing to me that we're still, you know, very much in this um, COVID world, um, the public health emergency impacting, you know, so many aspects of, of the work that we do. Um, and I, it's, it's always amazing as a managed care person, you know, you want to be able to, to have your data um, and you know, do your analytics um, to support the negotiations or the work that we're doing to drive strategy. And, you know, using air quotes here, we haven't had a normal data year since 2019. Um, and so I think now that we're, you know, getting into the back half of 2022, it's probably safe to say that we're, you know, entering, and I hate to be trite, this new normal in our data. And, you know, trying to understand how people um, are getting care um, and the most appropriate care settings, I think, has really changed and evolved, you know, through this, um, through this public health emergency. So some of the things that we're working on and thinking about, you know, really do relate to, um, you know, telehealth, our digital strategy, um, how best to make sure that people can access care, you know, regardless of the, the broader, um, you know, the pandemic environment, but what of those things that were created or quickly developed in the course of, of the pandemic time period, what's going to stay with us and how do we pivot? Um, either our payer strategy or our access strategy or, you know, anything related to how our patients access us um, in light of where we are today, but knowing that that's also, you know, potentially going to change. You know, there's things with the public health emergency that we're watching really closely, not just telehealth, but I would be remiss if we didn't talk about um, the potential for, um, Medicaid uh, recipients to lose their coverage. Um, now, we're certainly um, thrilled that the public health emergency has been extended through October, um, but what happens in October? What happens at the beginning of next year when um, the, the Medicaid um, presumption, you know, where you, you could get on Medicaid um, and has, you know, really grown the Medicaid rules both in Illinois and Wisconsin, which is very consistent with what we've seen across the country, what happens to folks um, when they have to um, re-up with Medicaid and how will that impact um, how people access care, get the care that they need um, and how, you know, ultimately does that, uh, you know, impact the, you know, the finances of our facilities if, um, if folks don't have access to the coverage that they need. So those are a, a few things that, that are top of mind for me. Absolutely. I just think that's so interesting, especially as you mentioned, because, you know, some of these benefits 
um, definitely seem like they would be uh, very helpful to make permanent and really make sure that people have that access, whether it's through telehealth or um, Medicaid beneficiaries in the expansion that happened over the past few years. You know, so when you're thinking about all the possible scenarios um, for the next year or so and, and what could happen, how, you, how do you really plan for that? How do you really think about, um, you know, what can we do no matter what the outcome is? Well, I have a 99 cent solar calculator that I have carried with <laughs> me almost my entire career. Um, so it only has nine places, though. So that does make it a little difficult. But, you know, in all seriousness, I think, you know, managing um, the scenarios, um, you know, let's run them. Let's understand what it could look like, you know, depending on, you know, what, what could change in the policy space. But, you know, also recognizing that as a large healthcare delivery system, you know, we, you know, you, you, like it continues to run in the, you know, continues to run every day. You know, our hospitals are, you know, open certainly 24-7. Our, you know, primary care practices are, are full of patients who need us. Um, so as the, you know, the broader environment changes, you know, what, what do we need to do to make sure that, you know, people, people have access? And then, you know, how does that, you know, feed into how we think about our managed care portfolio um, and coverage with Medicaid or, you know, working with um, Medicare Advantage beneficiaries or, or the, the Medicare population? So I, I think a lot of it comes down to scenario planning, understanding our what-ifs and, then finding a way to communicate that to the broader organization in a way that isn't seen as, um, you know, catastrophic or the, the sky is falling. It's not a chicken little situation. It's, you know, these are the things that, that could happen. Let's talk about it and all be aware of what could happen and, and plan for it. Um, I think that's, that's just about the best you could do. Absolutely. That's, that's a really great point and way to look at it. Now, I know we talked about uh, what is in the near future, but when you look uh, potentially two, three years down the line, what roadblocks do you anticipate beyond some that we have already discussed and how are you preparing for them? You know, I'd, I'll, I'll pivot a little bit from roadblocks to maybe opportunities. Um, and I think, you know, one of the main things that we have facing us in, in healthcare, and we see this. Um, in our work on the south side of Chicago is truly incorporating um, the social determinants of health and all aspects of um, racial equity and racial disparities that have become, you know, in the forefront over the last couple of years um, and for all very good reasons. Um, and thinking about, you know, how we solve for some of those structural and systemic, you know, issues in our communities that impact um, the health and wellness or, you know, the longevity of, you know, people in different, um, in different communities. I think there's a pretty well-known statistic related um, to Chicago and I, it's well-known, but <laughs> I wish I could tell you exactly what it is, but, you know, looking down at the zip codes, um, if you look at the loop in Chicago versus just a little bit West and the, the impact on life expectancy is, you know, a dozen plus years just based on, you know, where you live. So as we look ahead over the next two to three years, um, not only with you know, how we plan for using our capital um, or what our revenues or expenses might look like, I think we have to anticipate what our communities are going to need and how best to deploy the appropriate assets for those communities to, to address, 
what we now know well and we I think we knew all along but there there's no there's no excuse not to be addressing these things head on we have to do this for our community um, and then more specifically in maternal health um, and some of the work that we're starting um, to see um, and the advocacy that we're starting to see uh, across the country around the disparities in, in maternal health um, outcomes um, for, for women of color versus white women are, are things that as we think about both racial equity disparities and social determinants of health that we're gonna have to tackle. And then add on to that, you know, diabetes, and hypertension, it, it just goes on and on and on. A lot of opportunities with, um, you know, not, we don't have unlimited resources. So, you know, being able to really deploy that across um, the populations and the areas that, that need it most is going to be a significant challenge um, for us going forward. Absolutely. I think you brought up such a, a great point and something that I know communities across the country are dealing with and trying to make sure that they have that health equity lens and, and looking at, you know, what uh, different communities need in order to be more successful. And as you mentioned, have uh, access to care and access to what they need um, to be healthy and lead healthy lives. So that's um, great to hear that that's such a, a big focus for you. And, um, you know, I think perhaps, I don't know if you'll um, talk a little bit more about this, but uh, one more question I have for you is what are you most excited about right now? What's been working well and uh, what opportunities are you looking forward to in the future? Um, I'm excited about um, the energy around the work that we're doing. I'm excited about you know the teams that we've been able to put together. The the talent um, is is amazing, and you know I learned from the folks across our system on a on a daily basis, regardless of whether it's you know finance, rev cycle, uh, you know direct patient care. You know every every encounter is an opportunity to to learn something new, um, and you know one of the the things that really excited me a lot last year when I was making the pivot back into, um, you know, healthcare delivery system was I, I went to the hospital, um, uh, Illinois Masonic for my drug test of all things, um, which I, I passed, you'll be pleased to know. But as I was walking through the hospital, um, it was, it was July and it was right after the residents got there and I, I passed the um, you know since they all start in at July one, and I walk past the the office where they're they're all based, and you could just feel this. You could feel the energy and the space, um, the excitement about something new, but also you know just uh, I think the the great responsibility um, that we have not only as clinicians but also as non clinicians to support our um, healthcare delivery system to provide you know, the, the best possible care. And I, I think that that's really exciting to be able to feel that energy and know that we have people in that space every single day um, that, that are doing that kind of work that, that we can support on the back end as non-clinicians. It's just, it's an exciting place to be. Absolutely. I love that. You know, just great to see so much excitement in the healthcare space and uh, lots of energy around doing good things for the community and for patients. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fantastic discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Well, thank you so much for having me.